If you have your Bible, please take it, and uh, if you don't, uh, take your smart device. Hopefully, you've got the scriptures on your phone or smart device, and if you don't have that, look on your neighbor's Bible or smartphone or just listen. We are in a study of Titus. Uh, if you are not accustomed to being with us, we take a book of the Bible or a chunk of Scripture and we just go straight through verse by verse. God has so many rich things to share with us that, uh, frankly, if you do a topical kind of uh, preaching, you just miss a lot of these things. So we don't want to miss a thing from what God's Word has to say to us, we started in First Titus, going chronological, excuse me, First Timothy chronologically, following that is Titus, and then we will, the Lord willing, uh, follow up and finish with uh, Second Timothy. We're in Titus chapter 2, just two verses I'm going to read and pray, and we will look at this very, very important subject that is before us today. Paul, writing to Titus, a younger pastor, said, But as for you, Titus, teach or speak what accords with sound doctrine. You remember that means healthy, whole, solid, sound doctrine. And then he applies it. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, Sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Father, we praise you and thank you for the wonder of your word, how it gives us this sound doctrine that is anything but abstract. It is pointed. It is relevant. It speaks to us week by week and even as we read your word day by day. But Lord, it's It's just going to be words unless your Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, attends it and makes it real and makes it come alive in our hearts. And that's our prayer today, that it wouldn't just be the words of a man and his study, but truly it would be your words, empowered by your Spirit, that causes us to sit up and listen and heed what you say to us and then respond. So, Father, all of that is a supernatural work that comes as we study your word together. We pray that you would do what only you can do as we do what we are responsible to do in listening and hearing and in responding. And we pray all of this in the name of our reigning and coming Savior, even Jesus. Amen. Jesus Christ is the reigning Lord that we have been singing about. He is our sovereign Lord. The Bible tells us that He is seated right now at the right hand of the Father on high. The Bible also says that Jesus is building His church. Now those are the words of Jesus, and He goes on to say about Him building His church, which is us, the local church, and also the church that exists universally around the world and from all ages since the founding of the church. And listen to this, we know that in the end, we are going to, and I'm going to use a word here, win. That is not a word that grows out of a prosperity kind of mindset. It is a word that just simply says that the gates of hell All of the enemies of darkness will not prevail from the advance of the church that Jesus is building. And in spite of the vicious attacks from the enemy, from without and from within, God's promise stands. You can take it to the bank. And through the gospel, the church, and and by the way, when I talk about the church primarily, you understand that I'm going to be talking about our church, Heritage Baptist Church, I will also be by application speaking to any local church, but I also will be including within this church family what I'm calling the nuclear family. 
which includes singles, widows, and others, children, but it usually has to do with fathers and mothers and children who live together in a home. And God has given to all of us in all of those situations a powerful means of growing in the Lord. You see, we don't want to just reach emotional or mental maturity. We want to be with all of our hearts, folks. I want heritage to be spiritually healthy. And in order for heritage as this body of believers to be spiritually healthy, that means that you as individuals will, of necessity, be spiritually healthy. And that means that the marriages in our church do you get my drift? We'll be spiritually healthy. Families will be spiritually healthy. And it doesn't come out of nowhere. We live in a culture that is just opposite of that. Do you remember what, maybe you don't if you weren't here, but I'll just remind you, even if you were here, in chapter 1 of Titus, he talks about the culture in which the churches on Crete were set. Now, it's a lot like our culture. You can see a lot of similarities, a society that is filled, that was filled, that is filled with, and I will quote Paul in his words to Titus, liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. That's pretty pointed. But all of it is true. That's outside the church, but also inside the church. Listen to this. Again, these are the words of the Apostle Paul to young Titus within the church. I've been asked, by the way, since I preached through this for, for several weeks, do you find any of that in the church? I have in the past. And we've always got to be vigilant so that we don't have this, and I'll quote it, those who profess to know God but deny Him by their works. Those who profess to know God. There are people like that in every church. Profess to know God but deny Him by the way they live, by their works. And in fact, they were teaching. They were teaching out of that spirit of flesh, that carnal spirit. And the reason why... Paul was in, instructing Timothy because he said they're upsetting whole families. That doesn't mean that they were making whole families angry or upset emotionally. They were turning these whole families upside down. And so Paul says to Titus, you've got to instruct. You've got to instruct. Last week we talked about this, but as for you, verse 1 of chapter 2, speak, the word teach is in the the English Standard Version, but it is the word speak, continually speak. It's in the present active. We did a little grammatical study in our ABF class today. That's in the present. It's continually. Titus and all of us, by extension, are to continually speak what is fitting for that sound doctrine, what accords with sound doctrine. In other words, our speaking, listen, dads, moms, grandfathers, grandmothers, aunts, uncles, older brothers, I, I could just go all through this. Every one of us is to continually speak, and our words should fit into this book. Paul calls sound doctrine, healthy doctrine. And so he's speaking specifically to the pastor. Titus, probably a little bit older than Timothy, but probably also considered a young man. One solution that he gave in chapter 1, in case you weren't here, is that here's, what, here's the first thing you got to do. Go into these churches and make sure you've got godly elders to lead the churches. Boom, there it is. He gives the qualifications for those godly elders. And what we'll be reading today is a little bit reminiscent of that. So it's across the board. There are some things that elders need to be able to do, like hold firmly, he says in chapter 1, to the trustworthy word so that they can instruct, and listen to this, rebuke where necessary 
And just tell people what needs to happen in sound doctrine. We're doing in our ABF, I mentioned that a minute ago. You may think I'm giving an advertising, uh, advertisement for ABF. If you're not involved, maybe like you ought to be. And if you think that I'm giving an ad for that, you'd be right. I just think that to get together and study the Word of God in a small group setting, smaller than this, this is a monologue. You need to dialogue about the Word of God and, and help apply it in your own life. But let's look at a parallel to that that we find in the book of Jude. We're going through that. Jamal Bridges and I are going through that with our class, marvelous study. But look at this parallel statement to what he says here. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation. Now, what's the theme of the book of Titus? This is the theme of the book of Jude. We have a common salvation, it says in Jude, but in Titus it says a common faith. It's the same thing. And I said this before and I'll say it again. Common doesn't mean ordinary Common doesn't just mean ho-hum. If you have been saved, if you have been made aware of your sins, and you've seen the wonder of the Savior who died on the cross to save us, and you have repented and you've trusted in Jesus Christ and not just a set of doctrines, which that's what we're looking at, but those doctrines tell us about a person, a man named Jesus. It is the common salvation that all of us share, and no matter what age you were or what context you were in or where you are in that growth process, sanctification, it is something that we share together. And though, listen, by the way, I don't always say that I expect amens, but I do expect a hearty amen to this. If you know what I'm talking about, and you know what you've been saved from, the penalty and someday the presence of sin, there is nothing common or ordinary about that. But it is shared. So Jude says, look, our common salvation, our shared salvation. And so he's writing almost the same thing. I found it necessary to write to you, appealing to you to contend. We'll come back and talk about this and what it means a little bit more in a minute, but for you to contend or fight for the faith, that common faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Now, we live in a pluralistic society. We are not a pluralistic church. We have a number of different ethnic backgrounds and backgrounds of, of places that we have lived and things like that. But we are unified in believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe that this is not any other revelation, either old or new, that this is the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And that's why we need to fight the good fight. The Greek word there is the word from which we get our word agony. To agonize the good agony of the faith, the common faith, the common salvation. To fight strenuously. That's what he says, to fight the good fight. You, you know what? If you're a believer, and you're not just a church member who attends a church, and then you go home, and you live your life, and there's a compartmentalizing, which is deadly. You, live, you have one kind of life at church, and you have another kind of life at home, or another kind of life on the job, or in private, or anything else like that. That's compartmentalizing, and that's deadly. We do not believe that the Bible teaches us that. This faith, this common salvation is a, is a thing for which we must fight. Folks, it is worth the fight. Paul tells 
Timothy in another place to agonize the good agony of the faith, to fight the good fight of the faith. And how do you do that? Well, you attend a church where the preachers preach from the Bible. Well, that's one way. But if you're not keeping a close watch on yourself every day and the doctrine that you believe in. You know, I've said this, and sometimes we think this is relegated only to the youth, that they're going to believe something, so believe the right thing. Everybody has a worldview. Everybody believes something about the way the world works. And this book has been around for years, and it has been proven, and we accept it as the inspired, infallible, inerrant, authoritative. What am I leaving out? Perspicuous. That means it's clear. We did that in our ABF class. That's why Amy said yes. What else? Come on. It is sufficient. It's sufficient. For everything that you need, that I need, for every arena of life. And so that's why Paul says, look, pay attention to yourself and to your teaching, your doctrine. Persist in this, for in so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. That's our only hope. What that means, again, is, please hear me, no compartmentalizing. If there is one message that is consistent throughout Scripture. And it's probably the the, the most difficult to live with is don't, again, compartmentalize. And this is tough. It was tough for me as I studied this. It may be tough for some of you to hear it, but your doctrine must align or harmonize with how you live your life. And students, you don't get a buy because you're young. We're going to see, I'm talking about older men, haven't even gotten there yet. So older men, your toes are still okay. I need to say this again. When is it time to start working on being the right kind of older man when you're a younger man? To agonize the good agony. Someone has said that the Christian life is war. That is not always always what it is, but it is always that. And I like what D.A. Carson, this is one of my favorite quotes. There's a longer part of this quote, but I just chopped out this part just to say that we've got to be intentional. I've got to be intentional. You must be intentional. Pay attention to yourselves and to your teaching. Because here's the truth. People don't drift toward holiness. If you think you can just go to church and never read your Bible and try to be morally good and you can become holy, that is just simply not true. You don't drift toward holiness apart from grace-driven effort. I like the way he says that. People do not gravitate toward godliness, prayer, obedience to Scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. So Paul gets real practical in this next part. And for the next several weeks, that's what we're going to be studying about. Now, let me just say this. When I say Paul gets practical, you know what we believe here. Doctrine is practical. It always is. So men, older men, we'll define that in just a minute. Get ready and let's go on to what Paul says he wants Titus to do. He wants Titus to continually speak healthy doctrine so that everyone in the church, and particularly older men, will manifest certain character qualities of godliness. Now, let me do a little parenthesis. I'm not going to do an entire sermon on this, but a reminder 
And if, you, if you're new, you need to know this is what we believe that the Bible teaches about this. There is such, if you read all the way through it, which I didn't, there is such an utter simplicity in biblical truth. And we believe that the Bible, not culture, defines truth. So in this passage of Scripture, Paul is looking at the church where Titus is going to be going into all of these different churches and he's going to be addressing different groups of people that are in the church, different identities of people. And how many does he, under, listen, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, how many identities, and I'm referring to gender identities, does Paul say exist not only in the world, but also that exist in the church? Here they are, men and women. I'm not here to pick a fight. The fight has already been picked against truth. So I just want to remind you of the truth. Paul had every opportunity to break it down into an infinite numbers, infinitely growing numbers of letters that speak to different identities, but he doesn't do that because that's not the way God created it. He doesn't break it down into multiple arbitrary, let me use the word, these things come out of ideology and not the scriptures. And why do we believe that? Because you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, which we believe is literally true. And the creation of man, which we believe is literally true. And God created male and female, and He named them. And He called them man and woman. And some of you are good students of the Scripture, and you read on and you say, but pastor, there are five different groups. No. There are only two different identities, gender identities, male, female, man, woman. And then there are further, there is a recognition of season of life, or we might say a generational, not gender. Did you get that? Generational, not gender, breakdown. And so he says, in the church there are men and there are women. Within that... There are older men, and there are younger men. And there are older women, and there are younger women. And then within that whole framework, there is an ethic, a spiritual ethic, that ought to be recognized in the workplace. He does that by referring to slaves. That could refer to anybody who is employed. Now... If you want, that's all I'm going to say about this. So if you want more information, expanded teaching, I preached a couple of sermons way back in 1 Timothy. I looked them up. They're still there on our archives. You can look up 1 Timothy chapter, well, sermons 11 and 12 and 13. I preached three, excuse me. And I, I talk about the roles of men and women, not only in our in, in creation, but also the roles of men and women in the church. And so that's what he does. Now, these character qualities are, you know, when I read through them a minute ago and I studied this week, I said, Lord, you want everybody to be sober-minded. You want everybody to be dignified. You want everybody to be certainly self-controlled. In fact, he's going to repeat that one. And sound in faith, love, and in steadfastness. But he is talking about older men having reached a particular point of maturity in all of these levels. Please hear that. Maturity, not perfection. Because if it were perfection, I, I'd be left out. So would you. 
So what's an older man? All right. Okay, older man. So I'm, now wait, if you're a younger man, and I don't define it exactly like what you think where you are, don't worry, I'm getting to you in the coming weeks. I'm just going to arbit. He doesn't say, but arbitrarily back then, probably if a man had reached 50, he was considered an older man. Now, here's what Paul is saying. Don't look at your maturity only in the number of years you've lived. Maturity is not chronological first, it's spiritual. But if you have lived this long, and if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, and you're seeking imperfectly, but you're seeking to live daily in the power of the Holy Spirit, and you're pursuing sanctification, which is what we are all supposed to do, pursue peace with all men, and that sanctification or holiness without which no one will see the Lord, that's a pretty important qualification. We're to be seeking that, growing out of a relationship with the Lord. And I mentioned holiness. You shall be holy, for I am holy. This is a gospel pursuit. Please, please, please hear this. This is not you become these things, and then God will approve you. This is you have realized As I said a moment ago, your sin before a holy God. You've seen that the only Savior is Jesus, and you have repented of your sins and trusted in Christ. And out of that born-again, new life experience, then you pursue these things so that you can be holy. God wants you, older men, to be holy. So I know what some of you are thinking. I'm 49. I get to get out of that. Look, these qualities are not arbitrary. They're not legalistic. Again, they don't earn you merit with God. They flow from the gospel. Later on, he talks about that. We'll, We'll get to this. This is one of the most stunning passages in all of Scripture for those who think that grace lets you do anything you want. Grace instructs us to be holy. That's that's, that's the whole meaning of that. Look at this. Training us. The grace of God has appeared. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present generation, which is, unfortunately, corrupt. So let's look at these individually. Here's what it means. First of all, he says that older men are to be sober-minded. I I have to confess to you that when I started studying this, I I really, my first thought is I I do not want to preach this. Because I looked at my life and I said, really? Lord, am I? I'm an older man. In fact, I'm way past 50. So are some of you. And I'm going to stand up there and talk about being sober-minded? Lord, am I sober-minded? Am I dignified? If you had been here at our fall festival, you might not have thought so. There are pictures out there. Somebody's wanting to blackmail me, I know. Okay, guys, older men, younger guys, again, you don't reach 50 and flip a switch. Please, you don't, you don't just, it doesn't automatically come on. So when you're really, really young, start working on these things. What does it mean to be sober-minded? Well, the, the actual meaning is just... It has to do with alcohol. Don't be intoxicated. Temperate. But really it expands. Don't be addicted to anything. 
And there are people in churches all over the land who will puff out their chest in a pharisaical self-righteousness and say, I don't drink alcohol, so that doesn't pertain to me. But they are addicted to the inner lusts that God warns us about in places like 1 John. Do not be addicted to the things of the world, like the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, pride, the things that will cause you to be proud in this life. Obviously, it, it applies to, to overindulgence, and boy, can I do that. Oh, I'm probably the only guy that sit down and watch a ball game, and boy, my first thought is, I got to have some chips. I got to have some popcorn. But it's not just a little handful. I, I can just sit there and eat the whole bag. I really can. I know you think, really? Yeah, yeah, I can. Overindulgence, extravagance. It's not just food and drink. It means that that if I am spiritually mature, if you're spiritually mature, you will discern, listen, what is really important in life. This is, this is what it all boils down to. It's easy to, to, to say it's food and drink and alcohol. Those are outward things that can be controlled. But the real gist of being sober-minded is that you discern what is most important in life. But after discerning, you will prioritize what is most important in life. And what's most important in life? Things of eternal value. God has given us many things to enjoy, but most of those things are fleeting. They're going to be gone. I was thinking back to 1973 when I bought my first new car. Second lieutenant out at Phoenix, Arizona, went into Chandler and went to the Oldsmobile dealership, and I bought a 1973 Cutlass Supreme. Bucket seats, shift on the floor, 350, four-barrel. It was a sight to behold, and I knew that Jan was going to come out and visit me. I couldn't wait for her to ride in my new 1973 Oldsmobile Cutlass Supreme. Have you seen many of those on the road recently? No. If you go to a salvage yard, you might see an old beat-up, rusted-out 1973 Oldsmobile Supreme Cutlass. See, things fade, but, but what we begin to do, and I, I did, I had certain pride in owning that car that really, with the payments it owned to me. <laughs> and as we mature spiritually, we begin to see, you know, really the things that matter, the things that I want to leave for my family, the things that I want to share with them that really mean something, they're going to be eternal value. It means, older men, that you won't fall for the sensational. Please hear me. You'll try not to let your family fall for the sensational or the fake. It means you'll take time to evaluate, compare with the Scriptures. It means you'll be steady and you won't compartmentalize. You won't be one way at church and another way at home or at work. Mouth, heart, eyes, everything. Let's move on. That's just some of the things. L look at this and apply it to yourselves, guys. What we're after is not, not that the preacher tells you what you got to do, but you're, after, you're pursuing holiness, and I'm giving you some insight from the Word of God. Dignified, worthy of respect. Dignified does not mean sour. I know you've seen a lot of older guys that are just sour. 
And they never laugh at anything. You say, well, that's dignity. No. Listen, life is serious, but life is also funny. So here's, here's what I try to do, and I don't, I, I confess, I don't always do a good job of it. I think dignified does not mean, older men, that you are flippant or trivial. You're dignified. But it doesn't mean that you can't tell a bad dad joke or a bad granddad joke. I think humor, if it is appropriate, is one of the great things that breaks the ice and we can begin to communicate the things that are more important, maybe through that. But here's what dignifying does mean. Hey guys, come on, get with me now. It does mean, pray that God would help you, that you will never laugh at jokes or anecdotes that are vulgar. Or use profanity because it gets you attention. Or immorality. Or really, anything that glorifies sin. Here's another thing that as I get older, I'm a septuagenarian now. And I realize that being a septuagenarian is different from being in your 60s or 50s. So one of the things I I believe that dignified Christian men ought to do is to accept your age and act your age without complaining about your age and the things that go with it. And if you want me to repeat that, you'll just have to listen to the sermon later on. These are are just things that I I was thinking, okay, Lord, what does it mean for me to be dignified? Act my age. Oh, don't complain about my age and the things that go with it. Here's another thing that it means that you will refuse to become bitter about missed opportunities in life and things that have happened to you that you didn't understand, refuse to be bitter, but you will show your trust in God at every season of life, and nowhere is that more important than in your death, which is coming for every person in this room. I pray, oh God, even if I get Alzheimer's or something like that, nobody wants that, or whatever way you choose for me to go, help me, please, God, help me to be dignified. When I come to the moment of my death, self-controlled, sensible, temperate. Again, the the mature ability to be able to control the desires that are always there. Older men, I'll bet you thought that when you got to your age, you would no longer have the same desires that you had when you were younger men. And you got there and you figured out, boy, was I wrong. Self-control means that you're learning and you've learned to deny the flesh, to say no, and to be filled with the fruit of the Spirit. And Guys, again, you don't get to 50 or 60 or 70 and flip a switch. This starts when you're a younger man. man. Let's, let's move on because he gives a trilogy here. Sound in faith, love, and in steadfastness. You're sound in the faith. You've got a healthy faith. You, perf- you pursue the faith. Going to church is one way you do that. Being involved in ABF is a way you do that. But that's not all that's involved in pursuing the faith. You pursue it every day, 24-7. You pursue the faith. Sola Scriptura. It's worth fighting for. Let me say this about being sound in the faith. I, 
I, I just think this is so powerful for, for me. Older men, you know what you believe, but you're not a know-it-all. And for those of us who have matured in Christ, by the way, this happens on both ends of the spectrum. Wait till I get to the younger men. It, it really does. But for older men, sometimes we feel like we've arrived. We know the stories of the Bible. We know what's in the Bible. And so we become a know-it-all about everything without a sense of humility. And being sound in the faith does not mean that. It means that you will be unyielding in the core convictions of the faith, but you will be flexible in those things in which you can be flexible. Are you hearing me? Christians leave churches all the time because they're inflexible over certain teachings, things that are out there on the periphery which ought to be able to be flexed about. And, and yet they're sloppy in the core doctrines. So make sure you have the core doctrines down. Be willing to be flexible in those things where you can be. Second one is you're sound in love. Now, what sound in love grows out of sound in faith. Here it is, same verse, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Not only pursue faith, but pursue love. That's agape love. That's a God kind of love that grows out of faith. Do you see that? I'm telling you this in almost 50, it'll be 50 next month. Years of marriage. Jan and I have, have said this, to each, and it's, it's borne out, and, and, and our marriage has not been perfect. It's been a, a good marriage. But we have determined this, and when young couples ask our advice, we really only have one thing to say. Love the other person more than you love yourself. Didn't Jesus say something like that? But then make sure you love Jesus more than you love the other person. A man who's sound in faith will be sound in love. Francis Schaeffer said this, and you know, I, 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 I know a lot of Bible, probably not as much as some of you guys know, but I know a lot of Bible. But if, if, if my orthodoxy, and I'm saying this in front of the woman who lives with me, I'm, I may be orthodox in my doctrine, but if it doesn't issue into love on a consistent basis, not perfect, but a consistent basis, Francis Schaeffer said this, orthodoxy without compassion has to be one of the ugliest things in the world. And I thought of all of the times I've been orthodox but unloving. God, forgive me, and forgive us, men. Help us to grow, not just at being in sound, healthy, sound in faith, but sound, healthy, in love. And then the third one, that we need to be sound in steadfastness. Boy, this is great. When we get, I mentioned this a minute ago, all of us are going to get to that place where we are going to have things that happen in our life, younger or, or older, where we need that patience, that endurance that is God-given. That's the third quality that grows out of the first two. Faith, love, patience, endurance. And again, the promise of victory doesn't mean that there's no fight. We just need to persevere, to be sound in our perseverance, our steadfastness. And I really believe that this could be one of the most important witnessing tools that we have available to us. Let me speak to the, I've been kind of speaking to the young men anyway. But I saw this verse and I, I, I thought about it and I want to share it with you in the battle of generations. Sometimes younger people look at older people and they have a, an arrogance 
pride in their knowledge. Those old fogies just don't know anything. And it's, it's called the, the arrogance of the modern. That's one, a guy wrote a book about that. But you know, on the other side, men, older men, please recognize this. While there is such a thing as the arrogance of the modern with our younger folks, there is such a thing as the idolatry of the traditional. With us older folks. About the only thing that I'd say to the, to the younger folks, there, there are not many things that I can say, I know something you don't. Because there, there are some young guys in this room that are so brilliant and they're, they're students of the Word. But I can say this to you, I have been younger. But now I am older. You can't say that. The Lord blesses you. You will be blessed with life. You will be older. But I have been younger. Now I am older. But I can tell you something for certain. God will be faithful. To the end. And other people may not. Situations may not. This life is filled with all kinds of uncertainty and seeming chaos. It's not. It's providentially ordered. We can be certain that God will see us through to the end. That's what that psalm is all about. You know, last week I talked about Martin Luther, the beginning of the Reformation. Well, I tell you, the, the reform, just the Reformers in England Or something. Do you realize that between 1555 to 1558, that's three years, that Queen Mary, Mary Queen of Scots, she was a Catholic queen, the ruler of England, that she had 288 Protestant reformers burned at the stake. That did include some women. That did include some children. But these guys spoke the truth and were steadfast unto death. Do you know what the primary doctrine that they were burned at the stake for was? A teaching from the Catholic Church called transubstantiation that teaches that the elements that we took last week in the Lord's Supper, the bread and the juice, literally become the body and the blood of Jesus. And the Reformers said, uh, speaking what accords with sound doctrine, that's not true. Jesus is right now at the right hand of the Father. His Holy Spirit lives within us, and He's coming again. And for that simple belief that they would not recant... 288 were burned at the stake. Older men, you may not be burned at the stake, but you will reach the end of your life. I've wondered sometimes as I get older, is my primary task as a pastor to get people ready for death? To get ready, I, I don't know. I, I, I've talked to, I talk to a lot of people. And to be prepared for your death, absolutely. It's just the most vital thing. I, I can't even speak the words that would, would indicate the importance of this. And to prepare your loved ones. And there are a lot of you who have come to a bump in the road and I have, and I, I didn't know at that particular bump in 2012 having brain surgery, I wasn't sure if it was the bump in the road or the end of the road. But when you come to the end of the road, if we believe these things and are steadfast in these things, then you know that for a believer it is not the end of the road, it's just a step into the glorious beginning of eternity.
church is so blessed. So many of you older men who know these things are seeking with all of your heart the things that we've talked about today that grow out of the gospel. Thank the Lord that we have older men in our church, saints who can say with the Apostle Paul, when they come to that time when they breathe their last, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith for which I fought and if you can't speak that, maybe you'll be in a, a place where you can't speak anymore. A stroke or a seizure. Thank God that if you come to that time and you can pray, Oh God, from my youth you have taught me. And I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. Father, I am so glad that you encourage us with the words of Scripture. A simple statement found in kind of an obscure book that talks to older men. To be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound, solid in faith, in love, in steadfastness. That Lord, it speaks to us. It certainly speaks to me. And Father, if I were to stand before you right now and... You were to tell me all you deserve, Marty, is hell for the punishment of your sins. I could not argue. That's what I do deserve. But I'm glad, Father, that you sent your son Jesus to be the sacrifice on the cross. To stand in our place to take the punishment that I deserve. Oh God, to take away our sins, the punishment for our sins, the penalty, and someday the very presence. Thank you that by simple faith we can believe in Jesus and be born again to that new reality and begin pursuing that spiritual life to which you've called us. And so I thank you that that's true for me. It's true for a great many others in this congregation. I pray that if it's not true for any individual, young or old, that today would be the day that that man or woman or boy or girl would hear your voice and respond to the truth of the gospel of Christ, that he was crucified for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Oh God, may it be so. Help us to respond rightly, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.